and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Blue Beetle. Join me today. He just got a second law degree from Gotham Law University. It's Shane, it's Shane Chernoff. Shane, how's it going? Pretty good. I got my JD from Gotham Law, and I'm now going to um, Palmera City and uh, ready to rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, actually, I mean, I guess maybe they do have a JD program, though our character in Blue Beetle got a pre, just got a pre-law undergrad degree from Gotham Law University. Uh, a couple couple funny jokes there, uh, though, um, who knows, maybe you and I as a couple lawyers, maybe we would have been better served in our careers if we had just, you know, gone to Gotham Law first before going to our Florida State schools. But I mean, you'll never know. Uh, but yeah, Blue Beetle is the newest film from the, the DC Extended Universe. It is kind of the second to last one in these like batch of movies that were uh, put into production before James Gunn took over operations there. It is directed by Angel Manuel Soto, who he directed a movie that came out during like the height of COVID called Charm City Kings, which I did not see, but I think a lot of people really liked. It is written by uh, Gareth Dunnett Alcor, and it is, you know, adapted from uh, various like DC characters that, you know, were ri- ri- written in the not so, not so distant past necessarily compared to, um, you know, a, a lot of others. It stars... Uh, Sholo uh, Maraduena, who a lot of people might know from Cobra Kai as uh, Jaime Reyes, who is uh, returning from uh, the aforementioned Gotham Law University to his family in uh, Palmera City, which Shane mentioned, uh, and, and he's as the, first in the, as the first in his family to get a college degree. But his family has fallen on hard times uh, financially. Their business closed due to his dad having a heart attack and the ensuing complications from that. Their landlord is raising their rent times three, and things are just not going well. And as he and his sister, Milagro, are forced to take a job cleaning the house of a wealthy business magnate, Victoria Cord, who you know operates one of these corporations and these kind of movies that do a lot of shady stuff. Hijinks ensue when they're at the, uh, her mansion and they happen to become acquainted with Jenny, her her niece, who has some kind of role in the company, but you know objects to some of the way things are going there. But you know, in that whole uh, kerfuffle, uh, Jaime loses his job and Jenny says, "Hey, come to the court headquarters. I can maybe get you another job." He shows up the next day when Jenny is trying to get away from the premises with a scarab, which we had seen them excavate in an art the beginning of the movie. And she says, hey, take this. Don't open this burger box. I put it in. He gets home. His family encourages him to open the box. And this scarab, a.k.a. the Blue Beetle itself, you know, kind of just uh, inserts itself into him by via other ways, which we might talk about. And they make some funny jokes about that. And all of a sudden, he starts developing all these powers, and you know the the folks at Cord want to get after him to recover their you know th- their uh, their experiment, their, their their discovery, and so they can use it to make their own army because that's the kind of thing the bad guys do in these movies. Uh, Shane, I, before we even jump into it, I want to start. We've, you've been on for two Marvel movies before. We've never really talked DC, you and I. I don't even know if we ever even saw any DC movies together, even though every now and then we've seen movies of this ilk together franchise type entertainment i don't know if i ever saw a dc movie with you so i i, I know you're, you're obviously a big mcu fan and you made it a point to see this within opening weekend so i'm curious like i want to take your temperature like where do you stand on the dceu i mean a lot of their movies get panned but they've had some hits here and there would you consider yourself someone that like you know it likes likes them more than like you know the average moviegoer or were you just kind of seeing this as like a hey i see superhero movies and i just want to see this for myself but you didn't necessarily have a you know a strong positive affiliation with this brand so i mean i'll tell you on the front end i was excited about it don't get me wrong truth be told the reason that i did go on uh, the thursday night basically before it premiered was because my friend was a big fan of cobra kai oh. um, and and was excited to see the movie because they thought the trailer looked good effects looked solid and you know it's a dc movie that's kind of sort of the start of a new era with Zack snyder i don't really buy into the whole 
you're either a Marvel fan or you're a DC. Wait, fan. wait, you, you, you mean you mean James Gunn? Uh, the James Gunn verse. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You said yeah. you said Zack Snyder. I was like, wait, well, I, well, I sure hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. The James Gunn verse. So, uh, I never really bought into the DC versus Marvel conversation. You're either one or the other. I happen to like all the superhero movies. Each one of them kind of has their own style. I grew up reading the Marvel comics. I grew up watching the Marvel shows, mm-hmm. although DC's animated stuff was really good. But this was really my first introduction to the Blue Beetle. So I started with a clean slate. I had no idea who he was. Um, a very interesting story. And uh, I was I was I was surprised by it. And it was a pleasant surprise. I, I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I knew nothing about him going in either. I besides like what was in that one trailer. And I was like, Oh, at least this looks different. This looks like something new for them. And like I said, for me, at least their movies have been pretty hit or miss. And I really had not liked any of them basically since, uh, since 2021's, uh, suicide squad, you know, and the, the, the James Gunn one, like they, they really had some uh, pretty big, pretty big misses. Like as of late, like like black Adam just not, didn't really do it for me. Shazam, Shazam for you, the gods didn't do it for me. And I, 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 and I didn't see either one of those. Oh, I didn't okay. see either one of those, even though I wanted to, just never got around to it, didn't feel very compelled by it. And yeah, based on the reviews, didn't seem like either of those were particularly strong. Yeah, basically. I, and I, I mean, compared to the first one, I really, I did not love uh, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 either. And uh, and then, so it's really stating back to like Birds of Prey, like I hadn't really liked any of them aside from the Suicide Squad. So I, I was just like ready. I was just hoping for something different and it felt like, it, and I, I forgot to mention the flash, which like I maybe found a thing here and a thing there to like him, but just also didn't really do it. For that me. one I like. that one I actually liked. Oh, okay. I actually and, liked it a lot more than this movie, but we'll get into that. Oh, later. okay. Interesting. Well, uh, so that, that's interesting. I, I just had very high expectations for the flash because of like with all the problems that it had in its pre-production and the stuff with Ezra Miller, I was like, there's no way they're putting this out if it isn't like really, really good. I just, I, I was a bit let down, but like, so I was, I, I was just kind of like, happy that blue beetle felt like something kind of different and when you think about it like how many either mcu or dceu movies can you think of where like like a a, a sh- like a sh- like there is like a strong big biological family at the center of it there are some that are about families in their different ways but maybe found families like the shazam movies you know those kids are in foster care or guardians of the galaxy that's its own found family but it, it's one it just felt like something fresh where it's like how many of these movies can you think of where it's like an actual family of blood relatives that has a long history like ha- is like prominently featured that gave it its own feel i, I don't know what you, if you thought as you were watching this as, as a native of south florida i thought they were filming in miami uh for for a lot of a lot you of those could, downtown you sequences. could tell you could definitely tell in some of the scenes of Palmera City. And in fact, at one point while while the movie was going on, I leaned over um, to my friend and I, I said, they definitely filmed that scene in Brickell. You could I thought, tell well, I, I thought so. Miami kind of feel. I, it sure as hell felt like Brickell. But like when you go on there, um, when you go on like the Wikipedia, it, it, it actually says a lot of stuff about just filming in Atlanta, which a lot of these things do. Like lots of movies film in Atlanta, so maybe they just like had some CGI that like they made look like like Brickle, but like whatever it was that that, that they they refer to like I mean it's kind of funny because like you know there's not real American cities named in DC movies you know you got Gotham you got Metropolis and they they, they do but like I guess they they're, they're actual countries because this family is referred to as a Mexican uh, of of Mexican descent and uh, but at the same time this clearly felt like it was supposed to be something like Miami I think they referenced they used the term keys a couple times so I think it was supposed to be some kind of like amalgamation of like you know 
Miami and like a little bit more of a tropical, even even a more tropical keys type taste. I don't know, but like it sure as hell felt like they were trying to create some kind of city like that. And it felt very distinct from like a Gotham or Metropolis. So like I really didn't respect that, that it was like a movie about a family, not only not even living in the downtown, living on the outskirts, having these economic problems and in like they're facing all this gentrification and whatnot. But at the same time, you do see what the main city looks like. And it feels like something different from all these movies. So just having a movie that like centered on a family and had like a much different physical setting. I just thought like that was really something that was interesting and different for these movies and gave me a lot more like fresh stuff to like take in. And I really appreciated that. I agree. It sort of felt like the city was a combination of L.A. and Miami. And Mm -hmm. I want to break down, I think, two things. First, I want to start with the family, Mm -hmm. because my analysis of the movie was this was basically a combination of Spy Kids and Fast and the Furious with some of the themes that it had Mm. um, combined with with, I think, some of the effects. I understand why people may not like the movie because of some of those themes that circle around. They, they feel like it might be a little bit too campy uh, or kitschy and maybe not serious enough for a superhero drama with a budget of a hundred million. Um, I'll probably, I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but it was refreshing that you had somebody that had a real family. Life is not always a tragic backstory. Sometimes somebody can just be part of a tight family unit and, and have just life problems of making ends meet. I think that was probably something that was very relatable for a lot of people that maybe they might not have related to billionaire Bruce Wayne or uh, Peter Parker growing up without his parents and then having just his uncle Ben and Aunt May, and then he's down to just Aunt May. That's the family part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of another aspect of relatability is, look, we're living in times where, especially you and I, people in our early 30s, we don't have the economic advantages that the people who grew up the generation before us may have had. A lot of the story is people who are struggling to make ends meet don't have the advantages of the wealthy. In a, in a world like this, in a city like Palmyra City, the rich get richer. You gentrify the edge of the city and you push the poor people who basically serve the rich further out. And I think that's probably a story that a lot of people can relate to, especially people who grew up um, made their made their family name and, and wrote their family story in a big city. And now just the cost of living is rising and they just really feel the pressure of sort of these economic forces coming down. Another really relatable aspect of this movie. Yeah. Well, it's, it's something that we, even we as people that don't necessarily live in like, you know, uh, the live in like as uh, poor of a neighborhood as the family does in this movie. Basically, anyone in South Florida can relate to that these days with the with the cost of housing and all all, all that stuff. But like I think yeah, I, 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 yeah oh geez. uh yeah you you, you you were smart you bought a house at the right time i am like still you know uh I, i'm still trying to figure all that out but like i, I i'm glad you made that point because not only is it about a family it's about a family that's going through a, a particular economic crisis and that motivates a uh, that, that's kind of like a starting point and a motivation for a lot of their actions in the movie and uh, jaime's and jaime's motivations to do what he is doing and uh and, and that's it's, it's just another thing that you haven't seen in a a lot of these movies i mean you know i I guess in ant-man like scott lang is kind of driven by like you know needing some money he's he's fresh out of jail or in you know uh and i I, did you watch the falcon and the winter soldier tv show i did i i love that i thought that was probably out of all of them my second favorite or most favorite one you and i have you and i have some very different tastes that might be like my second least favorite i was gonna say that's a that's a pretty common thing and that's and that's why we do this on the podcast you like to bring (laughs) in a different perspective 
So I can yeah. bring you the man of the people yeah. perspective. Well, I what was funny what, was, what stuck out to me about that was that there was like a like a financially motivated storyline in that, but it just didn't make any sense to anyone that like why is Falcon poor? Like shouldn't all these people have like influencer deals or something like that at the very least in this world? Or, yeah, yeah. You're getting, yeah. You're getting money for making public appearances or whatever. So I, it's here and there, but never has it been like a family that's facing like this kind of like systemic poverty. Uh, um, just based on you know just like all the all the factors that are kind of working against them in society as like people of color and having to deal with all the challenges that you know just life is thrown their way and that it just felt like a unique different kind of starting point where a lot of these other movies are just like yeah yet at the same time at the heart of it they still love each other and there's a lot of joy in that house and that just feels very distinct from just about any other superhero movie almost any other dc thing that you get dropped into aside from dc especially yeah yeah aside from james gunn's the suicide squad which like is just funny because it has the james gunn tone like everything else is just like dark and dour like as soon as you're dropped in here's a family that is facing some real problems but also it has like they have like a lot of real heart and uh comedy and really fun stuff going on like just within that i mean i think i think george lopez is like a total revelation in the movie he is just incredibly fun but even aside from him like just when the whole family is bouncing off each other not, not when it's just focused on him as funny as he is in his moments they are just very charming and funny in the way they like you know all, all all interact in those scenes in the houses and that again it just felt like something that was just not the kind of uh not the kind of laughs and not the kind of uh character beats that you normally get in any kind of superhero movie that just made it feel like wholly distinct from like you know other superhero movies or maybe you can't say for like the actual hardcore superhero stuff in this movie but i just think all the family stuff was just like incredibly well done it was refreshingly light for a dc movie mm -hmm. and you know when, when you're talking about the characters being endearing the movie the movie starts more or less with um jaime coming back to palmera city and there's a scene where he meets his family, they go out to dinner, and then they're spending some time in, in their home. And probably by the end of that first 15 or 20 minutes, you like all of these people for separate reasons. You like Jaime because he's a hardworking guy trying to do right by his family. You like the sister because she's the one with, you know, the dark sort of like sordid sense of humor, whereas everybody's uh, a lot lighter. So she plays off them well by contrast. Uh, you like the dad because you know that he's, just trying to do what's best for the family, working working through a heart attack, uh, which becomes also a theme in the movie, his health, doing the best that he can. Um, the mom coddling Jaime as, as the golden boy, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that if they have an older older male sibling that the, the parents look up to. And then, that, of course, is Abuelita, and we love Abuelita. Yeah, you should, maybe you should have seen this movie with your sister and seen how uh, close it hit to home then. <laughs> hey, I'll, have to, I'll have to ask her how she feels about that one once, um, once she sees it. I wonder if there's, I wonder if there's some relatability there as well. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it, it's just like in doing all of those things that we just discussed, like it does it does set real stakes. You know, it's like you you actually really care about where this guy is from. And what 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 he has to risk by like you know when 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 things start to go haywire when he actually becomes you know uh you know intertwined with the blue beetle and has this whole entire big evil corporation going after him you really do you really do feel invested in that family and um once they once they start feeling the brunt of the the court the the, the cord wrath that you're like uh, you really do feel something for him and i think you know there's a there, the, uh, maybe if this was of the quality of some other dc movies maybe they don't actually set it up that well so i just think that all that is like really really integral to how they did this now let me separately ask you though about you know we haven't really even talked about the blue beetle stuff itself and i'm curious like as someone that did kind of go in fresh not knowing much i've one criticism i've seen of the movie is that people are saying oh they didn't really necessarily actually get into the uh into the lore 
of the Blue Beetle quite enough and exactly what this thing is, where it's from, why it does choose Jaime, how they end up kind of merging and having that kind of symbiotic relationship. But on the other hand, part of me is like, well, I don't need it to get too bogged down in that kind of stuff. I can just kind of take it as it comes. What, what did you think of how it just kind of like how it, how it kind of introduced the scarab and how it just like all of a sudden we, he is just possessed and he has these powers. Were you, were you kind of too bogged down in the minutiae of how it got there and the coincidence and why this thing kind of chose him or, or did you just think? No. That, yeah, I, I, I wasn't. And I'll, I'll tell you why. How many movies have we seen mm-hmm. where we are sitting through it for two and a half hours and somebody <laughs> feels the need to flash back and explain every single thing that has happened up until this point because whatever director or writer, producer, how whoever it is, feels the need to establish all the exposition before you go right in. Hmm. This movie didn't need that. The runtime came in at 127 minutes, so we're a little bit over two hours. If they wanted to do that and they wanted to make a movie that was two and a half hours, like like Mission Impossible, the most recent one where they did where they did something like that and sort of went through a lot of flashbacks and cutaways and things like that. They could have, but I would rather you just get right to the good stuff, you know, Mm. skip the appetizers. I don't want to have the shrimp cocktails all the time. (laughs) I don't need to sit here and, and go through the Caesar salad. Just bring me the steak. And this movie I think did a good job of doing that. Right. There's a scene. I don't know if we, if we're at the part where we want to do spoilers or not, but there is a scene where Jaime George Lopez's character, uh, who is great, as you mentioned, I felt like he stole every single scene that he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cord are in the lair of the original Blue Beetle. And there's enough, there's enough backstory that gets explained in that scene for you to go on. The former Blue Beetle was sort of this uh, cult hero who used sort of these janky gadgets to do the best he could to protect the city. Um, fell into... I don't know if I would call it a trap, but fell into sort of an obsession uh, with the scarab that ends up merging with Jaime to ultimately make him like, I guess, Blue Beetle pure and and ends up getting lost. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, right then and there that Jaime is carrying on the legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I didn't need 20 minutes of explanation or flashbacks or even a scene featuring the former Blue Beetle. The characters tell you everything that you need to know, and it's wrapped up in a tight little bow in maybe five minutes. I mostly agree with that. I uh, I don't necessarily, especially when like you're not as well versed in the comics like you and I are, and like the majority of the intended audience probably isn't going to be. Maybe you don't you don't need to spend too much time trying to over explain that stuff because it might rely on it might end up like making someone think they're missing something because you're referencing stuff that might be coming a little more from the comics. And I mean, you can take enough from the comics to make the movie. You don't need to like get every little detail in there about the history of this thing they're excavating from Antarctica. Like it just you just don't need it. I think you can just kind of accept it for what it is and that it provides these powers and that's fine. I don't even know if I necessarily even need to know why it chose him. I've seen some talk about that. It's like whatever. It's just he 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 he's going to be the blue beetle, and that's just what the character is the one thing i will say let me ask uh are you have you seen have you seen both venom movies both tom hardy venom movies and did you like yes and and thoroughly enjoyed both yeah i really i I think i like the second one even more actually the second one's really good but like i and maybe and maybe i just feel like i'm i know those characters a little more because i've seen them over two movies though i think i wanted to maybe get out of blue beetle one thing i maybe did want a little more of was was when that bonding does kind of happen and when uh you know at the same time it's not only just that like he's getting more adept at like using the powers, but you know, it's, he's merging with this, uh, with, with this, uh, the, the scarab, like it's, it's kind of has this 
how would you describe it? It's so it's it's Kajida is like the yeah kind of Kajida is the spirit that exists within the scarab that chooses who I guess we'll call it it uh, mm. bonds with to ultimately form uh, the life form that is the blue beetle. Yeah, and Jaime like uh, Kajida like they 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 end up becoming more as one and they're able to interact more and Kajida like you know is like talking to him at the eventually and they're working very well together at the end and I think I want to like cute little quips here and there there's dialogue between the two of them and it's not it's um yeah. it, it it sort of felt like uh Peter Parker if you remember Spider-Man Homecoming I know mm-hmm. we're with the suit. all over the place with movies he's getting used to the care and the suit lady uh, it felt very, very similar to the dynamic of I mean, the middle of that movie. I kinda, yeah, I guess I almost remember Karen even having a little more personality, but definitely, obviously, Venom. And, but Venom is like, I think there's more you can do with Venom because it's, you know, it's it's a, it's like a rated R movie, I think, and like can really like go for it with some of like the jokes and the quips that Venom's making. And maybe you don't have that kind of flexibility in Blue Beetle, but I don't know if I quite felt their connection as much. It was it just like all of a sudden, like they were actually working really get, well together. And whereas previously he could, he just couldn't, doesn't have like any control over it, it feels like. And he's just, totally having to turn himself over to it like i thought that stuff happened a little fast and i wanted a little bit more of them bonding but i kind of agree it's like i didn't need to get it too steeped in the comic book lore. i'm fine with how they just efficiently got in and got out but like i wanted to maybe see a little bit more of him like becoming adept at the suit it felt just kind of like a little quick with how it got to that point uh what about the what about the action itself um were were there any particular sequences that you thought were like especially effective because i don't know if there was any particular like one fight scene where i was like oh this is like really well done i think the one shot that's going to stick with most people is the is the nana that all of a sudden can handle that massive weapon uh that was pretty cool but like aside from that i don't know if there was any like action that i was like oh that is awesome action but there was nothing that was like oh this is like incredibly bad either uh was were, were there any particularly inspired set pieces for you or sequences where you really like someone utilizing some of the technology or the powers in this movie I think if I had to pick, I mean, the initial scene is always fun because that always, that reminds you of, you know, Iron Man 1 when, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. takes the suit for a spin, has no idea how to control it, and the suit's more so controlling him. Uh, yeah, so definitely Iron Man Ross, yeah. Like that. And there's, a, there's a learning curve. It it had so many notes and elements of Iron Man, right? If, if this movie was like a cologne or a coffee, you'd be like, oh, I sense a lot of Iron Man in here. Really right down to the suit. Right. Because it really it really did just not only visually, but functionally felt like the Iron Man suit, Iron Man getting used to a suit. I like that original scene. You get a lot of good shots of the city um, for really fun, comedic moments where he's just frantically trying to figure things out. They also the gag is when the suit ends up coming off. He always ends up naked, which you know, that's always that's always good for a funny joke. If he comes, um, if, he comes then, if he comes if he comes back again in a later f- film and something else i hope they'll f- find some like nice clothes for him that are resistant you know they yeah and probably something like maybe in the show the flash or even in the movie you know you build up like something underneath that can withstand whatever temperature or whatever speed they're moving at but as far as the action scenes go probably my favorite one was not including the big fight at the end, including everybody. One that featured just the suit in the fight was the original fight against Carapax after they escaped the facility. Because then you sort of get to see that you get to see as much as a, as much agreement and chemistry as there was between Kajida and Jaime. You also got to see the contrast of that when uh, Kajida and the suit first instinct in the very beginning of the movie was trying to kill and Jaime had to be the voice of reason to say, Hey, we're not killers. We're just trying to subdue, you know, set phasers to stun, not to kill. I thought that was, that was a lot of really good action. 
you started to really see the weapons um, and and really the whole arsenal of the suit in play. And then also when he comes to make the save uh, when when the cord people are moving in on his family a little bit later in the movie as well. Yeah, no, I thought that I thought that was pretty well done. And you saw like just what the capabilities were of the suit. And it was like a moment where he just like just wasn't wasn't totally adept at it yet, but it still kind of worked in an entertaining way. And the way they both kind of got edges in the fight at certain different points, it it, 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 it was it was unpredictable, you know, and not that I thought he was going to obviously like he wasn't going to like just get dominated or anything he needed to like survive enough to like you know be around for the rest of the movie but like it was it was interesting in that it like you know it had different push pull to it than maybe a regular fight scene does so i certainly appreciated that you 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 said that you're you said you went with a friend that was a cobra kai fan did you have any familiarity with uh um uh, did you have any familiar with uh with uh sholo marie duena before or did you have or did you have any feelings on him as you know uh as a performer after watching the movie if not because like it's pretty it's not every day like in one of these movies like you know, you're introduced to like just like a new actor in a lead role. Like, when's the last time someone that you this unfamiliar with had the lead in one of these movies since like I guess maybe Tom Holland and Spider Man? You know, it doesn't happen that often. So you kind of pluck someone that hasn't. I mean, Cobra Kai is a pretty well known show, but still, in the grand scheme of things, it's uh, the first time a lot of people are going to meet this guy. So I'm curious, what did you think about like centering a, this kind of movie on an actor that, uh, all things considered, kind of an unknown by superhero movie standards? You know, when I when I look at these movies, a lot of the time I'll look at them as a whole and not as people individually, unless there's mm-hmm. somebody that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know that I have too many superlatives for mm-hmm. him. I mean, don't get me wrong. He did a good job, but I felt like this was sort of an ensemble cast that made the movie yeah. what it was. Although he was the main character and he was the hero, there's a lot of supporting cast that made it as good as it was. Um, obviously a great actor. As far as Cobra Kai goes, I've personally never seen it. Me I've been told to watch it by a lot of different people. Same. And, and if he's in that and, and he's compelling, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm sure he's a big part of, of the show being what it is in that. Um, but as far as his acting goes overall, you know, it was it was good. It was good. 7.5 out of 10 on the, the turnoff patented sliding scale, <laughs> which is what I would have rated the movie overall. Yeah, no, I I really like Sholo too. I just enjoyed his presence and uh and at, at all times, you know, every now and then, you know, like it's it can be challenging to do these kind of roles, like the decent amount of green screen acting, some potentially corny dialogue, and I, he didn't really hit a false note for me. I, I I was I was honestly like not I was obviously not as high on um uh, Bruno Marquezine who played Jenny. Like she's like apparently incredibly famous Brazilian actress. Uh, has like 45 million followers on Instagram basically. Uh and there was, yeah, so I guess and I guess maybe they just thought that would help kind of open it up to a new market and maybe maybe she's like really good at acting and that stuff. I did not love her performance as much. It was like a kind of oddly inconsistent ask, accent they called her Brazilian. I don't know if I really bought her as much in some of like the more emotional moments and so it's like it, that's was, a, like, it was a thick brazilian accent trust me i dated i dated a brazilian for a while i i recognized that accent right off the bat oh, okay um, and it was it was one of those things where you know she was she was good as well um oh, okay she was sort of i think waiting to break through and really have a, a scene of her own but really i think i think the family and we're obviously going back to some of the points that we made a little mm-hmm. bit earlier. The family was what made the movie what it was. And, you know, not a bad love interest for her. Obviously her father is going to be the subject of a lot of the foundation of the movie. Uh, but I think she was there. 
maybe just as a love interest, as a plot device. I, I have nothing particularly bad to say, but she also didn't jump off the screen at me. Yeah, she didn't, just didn't do a ton for me. It felt like kind of a missed opportunity to, you know, maybe like, you know, just introduce a different kind of a different kind of star in a better way than they did. Because I just didn't, I don't know, it just didn't, to, it, may, it might have been more in the writing than her. I don't know, but something didn't totally work for me about that. And maybe I just kind of left it thinking a different actor would have done more with it. When was the last time you actually like remember watching like George Lopez act in something, if, if anything? Naked or did, or, or, I was just saying, night at three in the morning. Yeah, maybe. I, I was just going to say, or did you, did I, did I just know? I, I just feel like I just know him as like this figure, you know, from like pop culture, but not through anything like, oh, specifically, I know him in that thing. I mean, I, I mean, I, th- I guess the George Lopez show played on Nick at Night a lot, right? And that yeah. was like, and they aired new episodes of that from 2002 to 2007, and that's it. And I feel like I, I don't even know if I ever really watched the George Lopez show, or I just like knew him from advertisements for him because I just happened to watch a lot of like Nickelodeon stuff and other things where it was advertised on. But but 16 years since the George Lopez show aired a new episode, and it's like I'm looking Remember at like. That- yeah, it's been a while. I mean, do you remember his talk show that he had? I think that was in like the early 2010s, like George Lopez Tonight. That was, I think he was supposed to follow Conan. But that didn't work out mm, for very long. Yeah. If you remember, he was in Shark Boy and Lava Girl, but that was 2005. Also goes back to our childhood. So maybe that's kind of why I feel like it was like partly that like Spy Kids dynamic. I don't know. It was nice to see him back, though. I thought I thought he did an excellent job. And it kind of goes to show there are only there are no small parts, just small actors. And I think uh, him as the uncle was was pretty damn close to to a perfect casting. Well done by George. Lopez. Yeah, Lopez tonight was only Lopez tonight was only on from November two thousand nine through August twelfth two thousand eleven. So it was two years of like yeah, I guess going after Conan. And I do have so I feel like I just remember him some from like knowing he was on that and seeing advertisements for it. Same with the George Lopez show. So it was just kind of cool. You hear George Lopez is going to be in like you know. Uh, a DC a DC movie or whatever, and it's like okay, I guess I can kind of picture what it's going to be like. It's like no, we're going to really have him play a character. You know, we're going to have him play the conspiracy theorist uncle that is like you know uh, calling Batman a fascist and uh, you know is really handy with all the gadgets and stuff like that. But like ha- has a lot of interesting costume choices going on. And I was just like, oh, th- like this could have easily gone completely off the rails. But I actually found him like really entertaining and like bought that guy as a person. And I just uh, yeah pr- appreciated them having the faith to like have cast this guy who hasn't done like a ton of like you know acting in like mainstream stuff in recent years be like oh no we want to like put him in there and just see how it goes and i i thought he, i i just i i thoroughly enjoyed him i think probably one of the uh most well-known at least in america mexican-american actors um and it, even like his show uh that we used to watch as a kid at three in the morning when we couldn't sleep mm-hmm. explored a lot of different themes when it comes to being um a mexican in america and just you know struggling to make it I, look i don't have enough good things to say about him as far as describing him i think the one line in the movie that i loved and it stuck with me was he's the mexican doc brown because, <laughs> because at first when they introduce him you just think that he is just this crazy conspiracy theorist that uh you know is like uh local loco tío who is driving a toyota tacoma that he calls el taco and <laughs> He's just like this out there guy, but then you find out that he has the skill set that really benefits them throughout the movie. Yeah, uh, George Lopez actually had another show that was I, I forgotten about that was on TV Land from 2016 to 2017 called Lopez. Uh, so 
you know, uh, I guess he's, he's been, he's been around. This hasn't been stuff I've happened to see. So again, good for him for them and just jumping in and really going for it here. Uh, last thing, Shane, we haven't really actually talked that much about like the main plot as it kind of came to a head in the movie in yeah, court, in, I noticed in, in court <laughs> is like a villain. I don't know if that, I mean, maybe we're just talking around it cause we just liked all the other stuff so much more like Susan Sarandon is like, a, a you know, she is a, a very, very like, you know, well-known uh, actress with a long track record doing great things in her career. And it's kind of, it's, 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 this is like one thing she hadn't done to like, you know, get her to play the villain in a movie like this. In theory, she's someone that has the charisma to do that. If you can, you know, get the, get the right role though. It seems like it's almost universal on everything I've seen, even from people that like the movie, it's like, and eh, maybe that wasn't just like the best role for her. Maybe she's not totally bringing it the way she could. And maybe it kind of devolves into like what, something that feels like more superhero movies, you know, than that feels like more, most other superhero movies in a way, so much of this other movie in the areas we've already talked about doesn't. What did you think about like just Cord as this, this figure of this corporation as a villain and specifically, you know, Victoria Cord and how the, how the movie ultimately like, you know, drove to its conflict and final resolution. Did you, did you find yourself enjoying parts of the story and not others? What worked for you with, with, with respect to like this particular evil force in this movie? Yeah, you know the casting was was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was was poor. Just don't know that it was my first choice. I kind of have this thing where I feel like that's what I say with Susan Sarandon in every single thing that she's in. She's the love interest in Bull Durham, one of my favorite baseball movies. An old old movie. If you haven't seen it, could highly recommend it if you're a fan of baseball or. I don't know, just well, kind of like older movies or, or even like Kevin Costner and want to see some of his earlier stuff. But I don't I didn't think she was the right love interest for him. I didn't think that she was going to be my first choice as the villain here. But, you know, I think I think she did well enough playing, you know, the aloof corporate businesswoman. I think there are also some relatable themes on her end, though. Right. Like her villain origin story, so to speak, was that she was basically while she was qualified for the job. She was totally overlooked um, in in lieu of, I believe it was her brother who ended up taking over the company. And then she ended up, he ended up mysteriously disappearing and, and she took it from him, who was the original Blue Beetle, right? So mm-hmm. if, if we sort of like tie it all together, she took, I guess, the Blue Beetle out of the picture. I don't know whether those two things relate. We may have to wait for a sequel to find out. We may never find out. We may not get a sequel. Mm-hmm based on how it's doing in the box office, unfortunately. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that. But yeah, Susan Sarandon as a villain, I think I think she did well. I think she also sort of delegated a lot to Carapax, who was sort of her right-hand man. And you find out a lot about him at the end of the movie. So while she was the villain, she was sort of standing on the sidelines for a lot of it and almost like serving as a traffic cop kind of villain who... There's really barely any face-to-face interface between her and Jaime until like the right. And with with the amount of outsourcing she does to care packs, it's like, like you said, like kind of just there. She's like they're overseeing it, but at the same time, like if you're outsourcing all this to him and you're not like jumping in a suit yourself, it doesn't make a ton of sense for you to just yeah, like like to to, 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 to like be in a helicopter hovering over all of this like really really big action. You know, it's uh, it it just it didn't seem like the best use of like you know. Uh, or just like the smartest decision on her part if she's trying to like you know be in this for the long haul and achieve her goals like maybe if you're not going to like jump in and shoot a gun shoot more guns yourself i would just get out of there and, and see if and see if care packs can do it and if not go regroup elsewhere and figure out figure out what you're going to do uh i just so i mean 
I just like, you know, I, I, I like Susan Sarandon. I think there's a way in which she might work as a villain in one of these movies. This didn't necessarily make a ton of sense here. Also, like, she's just incredibly evil. Just like, you know, really, really went, like, went for it. Like, attacking this family for not much reason. I get it. Like, I guess you kind of need the, uh, I, I, I guess you kind of need the, what's it called? The, um, the scarab to, like, replicate things. But, like, she, they got care packs to whatever point he was at without actually yeah. having full control of the scarab. I, I mean, the whole idea was that this is her life's work. Mm-hmm. And really the main conflict in the movie ended up basically being man, AKA your average Joe against the corporate machine. That is basically as number two put in the original Austin powers, there is no world anymore. There's only corporations. And she was really just the figurehead for that. So in, in while, while I am talking about her as being that evil, one thing I did think it was interesting that kind of ties into just like the way they, the, the way that they did, uh, depict this family was that like you know i think the scene where they actually do kind of do the raid on them it does seem unnecessarily evil from her but it did evoke something in like kind of the ways like I, i've heard some people go as far as talking about how like the u.s like you know intervenes in like coups in latin american countries i didn't even necessarily think of that i just more thought yeah, about the ways i don't think i did either I, I i more thought of that the way just though that like hey the the, the way that the way the government is treated like you know just uh just hispanic people in general and whether or not it be people actually crossing the border or people you know maybe just and not that this there's an illegal immigrant storyline in this movie but like they, they were just so violent when they went into this house and unnecessarily so it was very cruel and you couldn't just necessarily help but think of some of the imagery we've dealt with our country in the last uh six and a half years of like how like they might deal with certain kind of like certain kind of authorities might deal with family even if the one in this movie is not a governmental entity and i just thought it was a uh, pretty powerful imagery for a dc movie and maybe it felt a, it maybe so one could say it's a little on the nose but it doesn't necessarily dwell on it it's just like one thing about how this family is getting treated and then it does like kind of move on but i thought it was it was still very powerful nonetheless and also set up by the fact that again as we talked about earlier they really do make you feel about that fam- feel for this family in the in the first in the first act of this movie or, or really do care about them and uh, establish them all as very likable characters uh what did you did you have any other feelings or things you particularly enjoyed as you saw this family you know kind of come together and overcome a lot in the second half of this movie uh aside from like obviously the the dad dying and they kind of pulled a you know a black panther ancestral plane thing going on with him there uh that was a total rip off of black panther but you know it's still effective nonetheless because you really did feel for jaime and thought he they did the it family. in guardians of the galaxy too oh, or in did, guardians right, of the yeah. galaxy 3 as well right there that, i mean that that seems to happen a lot that's kind of just like a film trope i don't know that we can completely rip it from from Black Panther, sure, but sure, sure. yeah, that that's that's one of those overplayed things and one of those parts of the movie which leads me to the conclusion that I did feel it was like a little campy and cliche. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you need that, especially for a DC franchise that's just all of its movies are just so uh, you know dark and and can be dreary. I think that was the word that you used a little bit earlier. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it does evoke imagery of how people are are treated in america uh whether it's you know you name it like his, hispanics in particular um really any minority uh just, and just and just poor people and so i think there's a lot of people that can relate to that you're right it didn't exactly dwell on it but i mean i was sitting in the theater and i was thinking about yeah like a lot of the time we we do have a police force that potentially over oversteps their bounds and in certain situations and maybe does not make the best decision are, are brutal with people potentially causing a heart attack. Right. We mm-hmm. actually saw that a, a little earlier this week. Uh, the story about, I don't remember the name, but it's a small time Kansas newspaper 
I guess they they raided a 97 year old woman's house and I believe she died the following day. But so one of the themes very quickly that it deals with is, you know, what the police are like in America and how it's really hard for people who don't necessarily have that societal leverage, whether it's, you know, the, the background that makes you a potential majority, uh, a good socioeconomic background. If you come from a rich family, uh, maybe you don't have that. And it, and it does make you think, albeit briefly, right. It, it does, it does get on with it uh, mm-hmm. very quickly, right. By the next day, the family decides to, to rally together and then we're back to the, Vin Diesel combined with Spy Kids kind of dynamic. <laughs> I I think that's probably as much as I've got to say about that. Yeah, no, no, no. I I I think it. I think it's 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 well said, and I think it's just a, you know, as as light as the movie is, it it, it it the moments like that hit that hard because of just how effective it is in those funny moments that make you really feel how much that family uh, really loves each other. And uh, sp- and speaking of that family, last thing, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, and alluding to the future of this, uh, of the future of these characters a little bit. I think James Gunn has said. Uh, he does see himself being able to incorporate Blue Beetle into some of the other content going forward. He, I don't think there's been any commitment to another movie. We, like you said earlier, maybe it's not doing so hot financially. Maybe a little bit of that can be written off due to their writer strike and the actor strike and the lack of promotion that comes with that. But at the same time, maybe an actor, the actor strike doesn't have as much of a bearing on this when you don't have that many massive stars that would be promoting it beyond, you know, uh, be, 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 and I, uh, well, I mean, like, I guess I, I, I guess I did mention that uh, uh, Bruno Marquez she's like very famous in brazil but like how much is that really going to help like the domestic box office in america like there's just a little there's a limited maybe upside to like what this can do box office wise but they in theory could bring uh jaime into other movies it sounds like at the very least and maybe there's not going to be enough success for this to have it be its own movie again but as we're saying and you said earlier like jaime is part of a larger ensemble as opposed to this like totally resting on you just loving that character in and of himself so i'm wondering as someone that did like this movie but like also really like this family aspect of it if, if they're just going to be incorporating Jaime into other corners of the DCEU without it being within his own movie again is there a certain way you would like to see him utilized knowing what you do know about the other content that they might come out with at some point the movie overtones being what they are I don't think they can do just him without at least featuring the family and okay in, in some way shape or form mm-hmm. right I think I think his father is going to be a big part of his backstory and you know I don't the know father's the father's dead though well, yeah, and and so that's what I'm saying. He's going to move on without him, yeah. uh, but he's still going to have him, you know, in the heart and on the mind. And watching, if you've seen that movie, you're going to know that that's a big part of his backstory going forward. Uh, but part of part of what made the movie what it was was it was a movie about the collective. It wasn't a movie about uh, about maybe the individual in the suit, but you know, dialogue towards the end of the movie and and a line that gets used a few times is you know you're. Your family is what makes you strong. And I, I feel like it would be almost a total, it would be like DC turning the back on the whole theme of the movie if they go ahead and make that the uh, overarching line of the movie and then you go and do a subsequent movie and it's just him without the family. It's very odd. It's right, like you're getting a hot dog without the hot dog bun or vice versa. Yeah, God, I, I, well, it's my bad for not doing a better job. I should have pulled up like the one of the stories about like James Gunn's what what he had announced for the upcoming DCU stuff. Like I know there's gonna be another uh, 
Peacemaker series and Amanda Waller is getting like a spinoff thing and he's doing a Superman movie. I just can't remember like the other stuff off the top of my head that they're doing. Like, you know, I, I guess in theory, there might be some way he could get pulled into like um, something like a, a Peacemaker or something like that. But, uh, you know, and it'd be fine. But like, I do, th- I do agree with you. It'd be like unsatisfying if we don't get to somehow see the family again. I'm just not really sure how that happens. Like if they, if eventually they work their way up to doing some other kind of team up movie way down the road, that's just like very long or something. Maybe they found a way to, maybe, maybe they find a way to like work them in there in a segment of the movie. It's just, it's just hard to envision right now with, with that, like how they do that with without with without just giving it there being a blue beetle too but like if if the 104 million dollar blue beetle is going to make less than 100 million dollars I'm, I'm just not counting on a blue beetle too you know? and that's and yeah and that's the sad part like i do want to see more mm-hmm. um for bottom line reasons i don't know that we ever will and so i guess this this story is more or less up in limbo unless they decide to maybe just cut cut down on the budget i mean I don't know how easy that is when it comes to a movie that's so special effects intensive, but I I am really hopeful that they, they may make a second one. Maybe you'll have a late surge in the box office now, who knows, but you know, even if it was a one-off, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. I'm glad it exists. And I'm just, I'm not, I I mean, it'd be cool if it had another, uh, it got, got a second gust of wind somewhere at the box office, but it's just the fact that it hasn't done better now when August has really just been a slow month for movie releases is, is not, the, is not the best sign, but like, we'll see. And I, but again, I'm, I'm glad that they, they decided to make this movie. And also you should just say like, you know, just how many movies really are there that even with this budget, even if this is small by superhero standards, like there's aren't that many movies of this size that get made about like uh, with, with, with Hispanic leads and primarily Hispanic cast. So it's good school for them because they make up a very big percentage of the country and there should be uh, entertainment on this scale that they can, they can relate to on this level. And so I'm glad it exists for that reason too. And I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's at the very least good. Cause it'd be a shame if like uh, one of the first times they're getting that level of representation, it wasn't. So uh, very happy about that. And uh, glad and, and just, and, and glad that we had a, they, they got another wing comment for DC because it, it, it has been at some times and like I, I really like the first Shazam movie actually that might be honestly be my favorite DCEU movie but I just did not like the second one so it's it's, it's nice that they finally came out again with something else that I that I could really appreciate uh, Shane any other final thoughts on Blue Beetle before we sign off uh, I'll wrap it up with with my uh, quick movie review of Blue Beetle I thought overall it was a seven and a half out of ten on the uh, as I mentioned sure off scale Turn off patented sliding oh. scale. Please get it right. <laughs> uh, feel good family sci-fi movie featuring George Lopez making Mexican jokes and driving a Toyota Tacoma he calls El Taco. Uh, don't expect it to be Oppenheimer. Don't expect it to be Barbie. Um, it's good if you want something that's like a feel good family movie that feels reminiscent of, you know, like one of the earlier movies like shark boy and lava girl or spy kids back when the superhero movies were a little bit more i guess simple and not much of a major production watch watch this one it'll it'll make you smile yeah uh well 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 said i wholly agree uh shane anything else this is the part of the podcast where you talk about any other recommendations you want to make anything else you've been watching recently can be a tv thing can be another movie you've seen anything else you'd like to direct the listeners to that you've enjoyed recently Oh, and I, I think you are going to agree with me on this, and this might be your recommendation that you're making as well. It's called Swamp Kings. It just came out on Netflix, and it tells the story that uh, you and I were on the tail end of when we were at the University of Florida. The University of Florida's football team featuring a murderer in the huddle, Aaron Hernandez, 
coached by Urban Meyer, a coach who's been dogged by scandal pretty much everywhere he's gone after the University of Florida and at the University of Florida. Tim Tebow, the perfect choir boy who can do no wrong, and a very, very interesting cast of characters behind them as they chase uh, national championships in the mid to late 2000s. I'm through part one. It's a four-part series. I'm looking forward to getting through the last three. I don't want to taint anyone before they actually watch it. I've heard, I, I mean, like the, the 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 early reviews I heard were not especially positive on it. But like I don't want to say why because maybe someone can enjoy it on their own terms without being tainted by those criticisms. So it's good to know that you you at least enjoyed part one. I have not I have not watched any of it yet, so I can't really comment. But we'll see. So I I, I feel like though like some people were hoping it would show more is what I'll say. I as far as other stuff I'm watching at this point I've been you know I, I had like a very busy couple of weeks at work so I don't have a lot of new stuff uh, left in the, left in my uh, left on my list to recommend I will say I am all but I'm done with all but the last episode because I'm caught up on and by the time people listen to this the season finale might have aired of of Justified City Primeval which you know is the you know they brought back for an eight episode stint they might do more of them but they brought it back for another eight episode season Timothy Olyphant, Raylan Givens who was the star of uh, Justified when it aired on FX from like 2010 to 2015 or so. And it was just a great performance and uh, 2010 to 2016, maybe. And it was just a great show and people can watch on Hulu, but they brought back the miniseries and it has been a lot of fun, even though they relocated the series from Kentucky to Detroit, the great Boyd Holbrook performance as the villain. And I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. And only eight episodes to watch. If you're a justified fan and haven't gotten around to it, definitely worth the time and captures the spirit of the old show. So I'm very much enjoying that. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we're, I'm still going to keep putting out new episodes. I just haven't had a, a lot of new stuff to recommend that I haven't already like just like had on the podcast or something like that or as far as the stuff i know that's coming up on the podcast that's stuff i've yet to see so we'll see uh shane before we get out of here anything you want to plug i know uh you got your own uh, social media stuff going that you've already talked about a little bit and your own show as usual uh every time i come on here i plug our podcast at business on top uh still going strong you can find us on spotify you can find us on apple Podcasts. We talk a little bit about everything. It's uh, the Seinfeld of podcast said nobody ever, but that's the dynamic that we try to have synopsis of our last episode. We talked a little bit about the original hard knocks, had a few flashbacks about that. We had a classic Ben's top four. We're about to have episode 99. So we were 99 episodes in. We've been doing this for three years. Very, very proud of that. The guys have all stuck with it. Me, Ben Siegel, Vijay Patel, um, we have a lot of fun doing it and I hope people have a lot of fun listening to it. If you got some really weird or funny shit that you guys want us to do to commemorate episode 100, we've got a couple of cool little things in the works. Uh, but tune in, jump in something to listen to. If you're on a plane on the highway on your way in, and you know, if you want to have like a relatable kind of conversation, you'd have it, you'd have it at a bar somewhere business on top is for you. Yeah, so maybe just maybe just like you know, uh, send Shane a message, ask him to eat some weird fast food or something. You'll really have to twist his arm to get him to do that, you know. So uh, very very proud, very happy for you. You're gonna have to put a lot of pressure on me to make me eat food. I'll tell you what. Uh, Very happy for you guys to have made it to episode 100, and very 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 proud of you you to stick with it. You know, I didn't know when you guys started in 2020. It was like, are they just bored because of the pandemic? Are they gonna do this once things open back up? And you guys stuck with it. You know, it's very cool. Still going strong. 
Yeah. As usual, I'm Josh Chernoboy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterboxd. The podcast email is uh, rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Podcast or and the podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod or should I say Podcast X? I keep forgetting, you know, to specify. Uh, you know, and uh, coming up next on the podcast, I am I'm not totally sure. We got we got a few different things in the works of like different movies I've seen, but we're still working at some scheduling details. So not going to tease anything quite yet, but we will have an episode for you next week. So as usual, I want to thank Shane for joining me. I want to thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you next time. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me.